Welcome to the Watershed Teaching Podcast. Watershed is the high school ministry of Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Perimeter Church is part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Watershed is a place where we hope high school students would connect, receive, and transform. We want to see students connect with God and others through healthy community, receive His truth through gospel-centered, grace-based teaching, and be transformed by the gospel to then go transform their world. Thank you for downloading this podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.perimeter.org slash watershed. So I'll level with you. Um, if you were to give me one topic not to teach on, this would be it. Uh, thanks, Emilio, for letting me do this. Um, so my topic is radical purpose. Is it going to go up there sometime? Forget about it. Um, so I'm deeply unqualified. Um, to give this talk. I'm probably the least qualified person on staff to give this talk. Uh, And to illustrate that, well, here's this. Uh, This is a Great Commission talk. If you grew up at Perimeter, you have heard this a million times. Um, So I'm going to give it a little differently and try to pull at your heartstrings a little bit. Um, But I need to open with a confession um, about sharing the gospel. So about three years ago, I met a guy, I'll call him Dan. Uh, He works at a place around here, and I was working at Camp All-American at the time. Uh, and my core that I was leading, group of college guys that I was leading, we would go there every week, um, and we got to know Dan, summer ended, um, got him a little Visa gift card because he wasn't doing well financially, you know, as Christians do, and um, a year goes by <coughs> as I'm getting to know this guy, and he's talked about his spouse, um, he's talked about his partner, uh, and after a year, he starts referring to that person as his husband, um, and I was like, okay. Okay, um, Dan, why did it take you a year to tell me that? Um, Oh, wow, we have like a whole party over there. Awesome. Um, And he said, because I know you work at the church across the street, and I didn't want you to not talk to me again. Um, Man, if that didn't break your heart. Um, And so uh, he tells me his husband has epilepsy, and he doesn't work, uh, so they have basically no money. Uh, And he says, we're hoping that he can get a job here so that he can ride with me here and we can work together. Uh, And I said, okay. So I started praying for it. And sure enough, six months later, uh, I go in and he says, Chase, uh, I'll call his husband Sam. He said, Sam got a job here. He's working up there. You should go say hello. And I was like, okay, awesome. And I went up and I said, Sam, my name's Chase. I'm a friend of Dan's. And he said, oh, I know you. I've heard about you. You're the guy who's been praying for me. And I was like, yes. Yeah, I am, you know? Um, And so time goes by until about, gosh, like four or five months ago. And during this time, I've met with them. I've hung out with them. We've become friends. You know, they're no longer this like little mission project that I'm doing. We've gotten close, right? We've eaten lunch together on multiple occasions. I've heard about their family. I've heard their story. Um, And Dan says to me, he says, Chase, uh, this could be weird. Uh, And if it's weird, you can say no. Uh, But Sam and I would love to come to church with you one Sunday. Uh, and my blood turned to ice. And I looked at him after thinking for a second, and I said, Dan, I love you, but I don't think that's a good idea. And he said, okay. And we moved on. And I still see him on occasion, but not as much. Uh, And you're feeling some type of way right now, probably. You're probably like, buddy, you work in ministry. That's your job, right? When two unbelievers come to you and go, hey, uh, can we come to church with you? You go, you're gosh darn right you can come to church with me. Like, we'll go to first and second service. You know what I mean? And, 
But I didn't do that. I told him no. And here's the crazy thing. That might make you mad, but I felt really good about it. Uh, Because I had convinced myself, I was like, you don't see too many married men holding hands with each other walking around perimeter, right? And so I was like, man, like, what if they say something to somebody? And they get mad, and it comes back to me, and I get in trouble. Or even worse, what if someone says something to them, and now our relationship is fractured? Um, And so I justified it, and I realized as I've been preparing this talk, I wasn't loving them well. I'm just a coward. Uh, and fortunately, I see in Scripture where Peter denies, denies Jesus three times, and then he tells Peter, I'm going to build my church on you, that we're fortunate and that we have a God that makes excellent use of cowards. Um, but I tell you that so you know when I teach this, and I'm going to say some pretty pointed things, um, but th- I'm not saying this to um, upset you. I'm not preaching at you. I'm right here with you. Um, which is why I tell you that story. Um, can I get the first scripture up there while I take a little sippy sip of my smarty pants water? Uh, Matthew 18, 19 to 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. I could spend this talk breaking that down and telling you what to do, but if we're honest with one another, not many of us do this. I certainly don't have the easiest job in the world. I minister to churched high school students. Well, that's actually kind of difficult sometimes, but for the most part, you know the answers, right? Um, And so hopefully this will be a little convicting. I'm going to talk about the reasons why we don't actually do this most of the time. Um, There's a philosopher, I'm going to get into philosophy, y'all buckle up, uh, named Rene Descartes. Some of you know who that is. If you've heard the phrase, I think, therefore, I am, that's Descartes. He was, a, he was an older French gentleman, and he wrote a book. The last book he ever wrote was called La Passion de l'Aime. Now, French students in here, you're like, buddy, you just murdered that. Um, but it means the passions of the soul. Isn't that poetic? The passions of the soul. It's beautiful. Uh, and he says a lot of hot nonsense in this book. Uh, Because when he was living, science was more of a theory than like an actual thing. And so, for example, (laughs) this guy believed that dogs had human souls, right? So he's like, oh, my friend, you are just like me on the inside, you know. For some reason, in my mind, he sounds like a pirate. Or like the visco girl in the back sipping her outro flask. Like, I knew my dog had a soul. I knew he did. We have a connection, right? Um, So he talks about a lot of garbage in this book that's just straight up not true, right? Sorry, viscos, your dog does not have a soul. Um... But then he talks about love, and it's like, ooh, the silence falls. It's like a pitchfork in my chest when I read it, because he talks about two types of love, and he calls them poison. I was like, ooh, maybe he's on to something. So firstly, over here, he talks about what's called a love of benevolence. Uh, This is a love that says, I want what's best for you, but I don't actually want you. And then on this side, he has what he calls a love of selfishness that says, I do want you, but I don't really care about what's best for you. And we tend to love one another in one of these two ways. I'll give you examples. So a love of benevolence, wanting what's best for you, uh, but not really wanting you, this is how we do charity a lot of the time, right? Like Thanksgiving comes around, Christmas comes around, and we're like, let's do it, let's be brave, let's go serve. We'll do it as a family, you know? And I know you're laughing, but that's really sad to go, yeah, we'll go serve, 
on this special occasion when we can go see Christmas lights after and maybe go to Longhorn, you know, let's spend a little bit of extra money because we did something good. Um, and, and we're like, okay, you know, we'll do that once a year, but the rest of the time, I'm okay with doing charity as long as I'm over here and they're over there. The love of benevolence. I do want what's best for you, but I don't actually want to interact with you. I don't really care about you as a person. And then on this side, the love of selfishness that says, I do want you. Um, I, I mean, I really want you. I might even love you. I want intimacy with you, connection with you, but I don't actually care about what's best for you. You want to be ready for a hard-hitting truth? Um, this is how we date almost all of the time. And again, this is how my wife and I started dating. When we started dating, I had just dropped out of college and decided to move to Kennesaw to run a fireworks store, right? Fireworks store. Not, not what you would think, right? Now, God is faithful and he redeemed it and now we're married. But this is how we date most of the time where it's like, I love you, I want you. You, you give me validity, I give you validity. We have this status together that I want to keep I know it's probably not best. Maybe that's just when you're laying in bed at night thinking about your relationship, and you're like, I know this probably isn't the best thing. Uh, but we do it anyway, because we're selfish. Now, sippy sip again, so sorry. Um, I don't drink water terribly often. I only drink Coke. So I'm never hydrated. I'm always in need of an IV. Anyway, um, these two loves impact how we evangelize. Here's where the kind of difficult application comes in. You ready? This side, the love of benevolence, is the side that is hard-handed with truth. It's like these people walk into a room dragging like a mace of truth, you know, and they wait for an opening, and then they're like, taste the truth, and like smash someone with it, right? Um, these are the types of people you might say hear say phrases like, the facts don't care about your feelings. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, these are the types of people that maybe really, really like those like get-owned compilations on YouTube, you know what I'm talking about? Where maybe it's a pastor or a politician and they're like, my point, and everyone's like, oh, wow. Uh, and then you look at the face of the person they're talking to and you see heartbreak. And you see their value leave their, leave their body like their soul is escaping. And uh, perhaps in its most radical form, this is the kid in your freshman year biology class who when your professor's like, uh, good evening class, uh, good evening Good afternoon, class. Today we're going to be talking about the theory of evolution. And the kid's heart starts beating in his chest. He's like, I've waited my whole life for this moment. This is where I make a stand. And he's like, actually, according to Genesis chapter 1. And he's like, buddy, please be quiet. He's like, you have absolutely no empirical evidence to support. And he's like, hey, please be quiet. And as he keeps going on and on, you hear him getting dragged down the hallway by another teacher. And he's like, this is religious persecution. Like being dragged to the front, right? You know why that story sounds really oddly specific? Because I did that as a freshman in high school. Yeah, no, don't applaud that. Don't applaud that. That's not good, right? Because that accomplished nothing. It accomplished nothing. And then we have on this side the love of selfishness, right? And what this type of love does in evangelism is this is the type of love that, that when you're around your friends who aren't Christians, and you have the opportunity to shrink like a grape under a really hot light, you turn into a little raisin, and you just shrink down, right? And you have this little bit of truth in your hand, and you're like, oh my gosh, they could totally use this, but I really, really want to keep this friendship, so I'm just going to keep it back here for now. And in its most radical form, this actually is when we do things we wouldn't normally do to keep those friendships, 
Like, yeah, 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 I'll drink it, I'll smoke it, I'll watch it, I'll do it. Just, just don't ask questions, just, just, just please stay my friend. And you look at these two and you go, okay, clearly this one is way worse, right? You're like this heavy-handed because culturally, right, culturally, this is the bad one. Because this is the person that you call a bigot, this is the person that you call a jerk, this is the person you call intolerant. Uh, over here, culturally, this is the good guy. The person who, like, doesn't make any waves in the pool. They're just like, coexist, you know? Like, we don't, have to, we don't have to talk about anything. We can just exist and each believe our own, and it's okay. Uh, that's not what this tells us to do. It is direct disobedience to this commandment to do that. And what this is, right? Let, 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 let me, like, take the veil off of what the heart condition behind this is. This is the equivalent of knowing someone has cancer, and knowing that they don't know they have cancer, and you have the cure in your back pocket. And you're like, you're going to die, bro. Like, you are super dead if you don't take this medicine, but you're going to be really uncomfortable if I tell you you have cancer, so I think I'll just hold on to it. That's what this is, spiritually. And that's really, really terrifying to think about. And it's easy for these people, the people that are like, I know all my catechisms, you know, and... And it's easy for these people to be like, man, you're not real Christians. You're not real Christians over here, because look at the stuff you're doing, man. Like, you're not even following the book. And then people on this side are going to be like, well, you're just a jerk. Like, where's the love? Because biblically, this person, the Bible says if, if you have all the wisdom and knowledge and all of the truth but no love, it profits you nothing. It is worth nothing. It, it, you're just a clanging symbol. You're just obnoxious. And then on this side, if you have all of this love that really isn't love because you're not giving people what they need, it's worthless. You know, Scripture talks about, like, there's this parable of a house and the servants working, and it says that God's going to come back like a thief in the night, and if he catches you partying, that's way worse than your parents coming home when you're partying, right? And so this seems pretty hopeless because it's easy for us to go, oh, I know people in both of these camps. And I want to be clear, I've been in both of these camps. Like, my parents are in the back. They have seen me be here, right? They have seen me move over here. I, I, I kind of bounce back and forth depending on who I'm around. So again, I'm not throwing this at you. We fall into one of these two categories. And the reality is when you take the good of each of these loves, you get a really beautiful picture of the gospel. On this side, you hear the, man, like, I want what's best for you. And then on this side, you see the, man, I really want you. And how that it comes from God is, I desperately want you, and I want what's best for you. And fortunately for you, the best thing is for me to have you. It's, it's, a, it's a full picture, but when you have this really, really hard, harsh truth and this love that doesn't want to offend, non-Christians can be either of those things. And you can self-identify fruits in each of them. This, this person can be like, man, I'm just more loving than you. I just care more about people. That's what I did with Dan. That's how I rationalized it. And then this person is going to be like, you're not harsh enough. You don't stand on the truth enough. And the reality is these two, for anything you tell people to be effective, these two have to merge. And that has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. For the truth to meet love and to be able to deliver truth in love is a spiritual thing for all intensive purposes. It's a flippin' miracle if we're able to do that. 
And so we're like, okay, Chase, that's wonderful. Uh, so how do we do that? Um, I don't really have an action step for you. Um, but I do have a question. Um, can I throw the next scripture up there while I take a sippy sip thrice times? Uh, so this story, there's a demon-possessed child and a man comes to Jesus and is like, God, uh, if you can heal this kid, please do it. And Jesus says to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Guys, if you knew how much hope there is in that passage, to say that it is actually possible for you to believe something halfway. Do you kind of see the pieces coming together, what I'm getting at? Where this person's like, I love the truth. And you're like, good. But they miss every bit of love. And this person goes, people are made in the image of God. I don't want to hurt them. But they miss all of the truth. Each of these people could say, I do believe. But God, help my unbelief. And when we attach this to a radical purpose, we have no hope of fulfilling that purpose unless we believe. And so when I tell you the root cause of both of these wrong things is unbelief, I think it's deeply rooted in Scripture. Philosophy take two. You ready? There was a philosopher, and I'm going to butcher this guy's name. I think Albert Camus, I think, or Al Albert Camus, one of the two. I think he was French. Um, this guy uh, was not a Christian, very much not a Christian, and he has a criticism of Christianity. And again, I'm not telling you to go read atheist philosophers, but what I am saying is I think their criticisms of Christianity could be an excellent way of shining light on our own problems. Because um, sometimes like eyes outside looking in see things that we won't see in ourselves, and this is what he has to say. He says, I have no doubt, he's talking about purpose in your life. He says, I have no doubt the disciples who followed Jesus had the Bible and making disciples as the purpose of their life. He says, do you know how I know that? Because almost every single one of them died for it. And he says, here's the crazy thing. The thing that you claim excuse me, gives your life purpose the thing that gives meaning to your life is also an excellent reason to die. That if this is the thing that your life hinges on, that if the purpose of your existence is rooted in this, you should be willing to die for it. That's a scary thought. And I want to be clear, I'm not asking you to consider martyrdom as a high school student. Yeah, thank God, you know. But here's the terrifying reality. If we can't swallow our pride and give that up to love our neighbor, and if we can't have a little bit of courage and share the gospel with people, folks, what are we doing? If we can't even give up those things, how can we say that this is our purpose? Oh, man, like, it makes me want to cry. Like, and, and I, I'm getting emotional because it's me. This is me saying, God, oh man, I believe. Please help my unbelief. You know, I really, really wish I could tell you that I've gone back to Dan and invited him to church, but I haven't. I haven't talked to him in two months. Because I'm a coward. And because somewhere in my heart, I don't believe. 
And if either one of these is a struggle for you, please don't hear it as judgment, but you do not believe. And this is like the thing we fear most, right? Not believing. But do you know what happens after this? Jesus helps him. After he's like, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And he's like, that is faith. To say, God, I get it a little bit and I desperately want to get it the rest of the way. Please help me. And so when I say that prayer is my application for this, it's very easy to go, wonderful, a prayer. Excellent application. I'm just going to go home and play Call of Duty or something. Because it seems like a weak application. But if the application of this talk is putting you on your knees before a holy God and saying, God, I don't know. I know a little bit, but I'm a coward. And I just, please help. Because I desperately want this to be my purpose. I think that going before God with a heart of desperation is the most powerful application you can have. And so I want to close with this because I'm out of time. I want to pray for you And I want you to pray for me and pray for each other. Because if you look around this room, make no mistake, you are the church. You're not in this position under your parents where you look and you go, oh, they're the church. And then one day when I graduate, wherever I want to go to school, then I'll be the church. You know, when I get married, then I'll be the church. You're the church now. People died when they were like 30 in scripture. Most of you would be married with kids if you lived then. Let that sink in. So don't say yes, that's not what you want. So I'm going to pray for you. Pray for one another and pray for me as the church. Let's petition the Lord to help our unbelief. Because here's the thing, if the people in this room can come to the point where they believe and can be courageous and administer truth and love, folks, the people in this room will shake the fabric of your generation. Because when the Holy Spirit binds these two things together, things happen. Things happen every single time, both in you and through you. Both for your joy and participating and for his glory. Uh, So I'm like super out of time. So I'm going to pray. Father, we know that we don't believe. And we desperately want to believe. We don't know what else to do other than to ask you to help us. Um, As your children, we come to you and beg, Father, help our unbelief, whatever that looks like, whether we are having a hard time administering truth and love or whether we're, we're just too afraid to say anything to our friends. God, give us a heart for you and a heart for others and help us to believe what you've told us to be true. And we pray this in your name.